Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel. The Sword and the Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries. And Founders Ministries exist for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm sitting here in southwest Florida, Tom Askell. I'm Graham Gundon. Graham Gundon. And we're delighted to come to you and talk today about some of the things that are going on in the evangelical world uh, currently. There's been an eruption over the last several days, so we want to get into that. But before we do, let me just thank our fan members, the Founders Alliance membership. Uh, those are regular monthly supporters of Founders Ministries that enable us to do what we do in producing content and producing books and articles and other things that you can find at founders.org. Uh, we also have some other things coming up. We've got the conference in 2023, yeah, Doctor of Man. This last conference was great. It was yeah. incredible. Lots of great friends from around the country, around the world came and uh, great preaching, great singing. Um, and that was less than a month ago. And yeah. already uh, at this point, we have almost 40% capacity for next year. Yeah, build up. I know. It's really uh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a challenge, but it's wonderful. The Doctrine of Man is what we're going to be addressing next year. Joe Beakey will be with us. Paul Washer, Bodie Balkum uh, will be here. There'll be others as well. So you want to look at founders.org and just find the conference information there. Register. There's still a discounted rate going on right now that you can uh, go there and register. You'd also help us if you would share this podcast if you think it's worthwhile uh, subscribe to it and whatever your favorite uh, podcast delivery system is and just let people know about uh, what we're doing here through the sword and the trial well it's been quite a week uh, in the evangelical world uh, meg basham wrote this article how the federal government used evangelical leaders to spread covid propaganda to churches i think that came out on the daily wire mm-hmm. where she now writes regularly and it's been something of a bombshell, I think, in yeah. the evangelical playground. Yeah, you. Uh, I think you called it an eruption earlier. <laughs> um, and it's interesting. These days, it, it seems like eruptions are going on pretty much daily. But eruptions are chaotic, and everyone's got an opinion. And it's hard to kind of keep your mind straight when all these different things are going on. So many bad opinions. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've seen reactions to the article by evangelical leaders whom she, I don't want to say she takes them to task. She, she just shines light. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't unduly criticize. She just exposes what they themselves have done mm-hmm. and said. And she even asked them for comment and they wouldn't even comment uh, to interview with her for the article. So she does that. And then the backlash or the response to it, you've got Eric Erickson writing an article, you know, saying, I'm going to regret writing this article, but can't we have a truce? And mm-hmm. um, then Justin Taylor reprints part of that article at the gospel coalitions. Yeah. And can we, can we call off the Twitter wars for a while? And uh, people complaining about the tone of Megan's article because the tone is not right. Then mm-hmm. the, one of the principal people that she deals with in the article, Francis Collins, the head of the National Institute of Health, refused an interview that had been set up previously because the tone of this article wasn't right. And all these evangelical leaders seem to be wringing their hands now about, oh, you know, goodness, we need to learn to talk better to one another. It's just fascinating to me. Even the New York Times had an article that uh, has come out about the dissenters. Yes. So the the dissenters trying to save evangelicalism from itself. Yeah. Yeah. So um, going back to Megan's article though, I mean, just let's kind of lay out exactly what, what her point is and what she's, what she's calling out here in this article. What is she examining? Well, she's talking about the way evangelical leaders have been co-opted by political leaders in order to get 
evangelicals to buy in to the dominant political narrative regarding COVID. And I think she's pretty well proven her case. Nobody that I've seen has refuted any of the facts that she says exist. And she has footnotes or links in her article that demonstrates what she's saying. So, for example, Russell Moore and uh, Ed Stetzer and Rick Warren and even N.T. Wright, uh, they all and Tim Keller, you know, they all promoted Francis Collins as one of us. He's Mm -hmm. an insider. He's a pro-life evangelical leader who's now on the inside of the political operative uh, uh, movers and shakers of our nation as the head of the National Institute of Health. And he's a trustworthy source. And so they all promoted him and his narrative of saying, yes, you know, shutdowns, we need to have these shutdowns. Yes, masks are medical devices. I mean, he, he holds up a cloth mask and he says, this isn't an infringement of your freedom. This is a medical device. A life-saving, a life-saving medical device. A cloth mask is what he says that about, and we're told to believe it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you you got Ed Stetzer telling evangelicals not to be gullible and to repent of uh, buying into conspiracy theories when there was questions about the origins of the COVID nineteen virus coming mm-hmm. out of a Wuhan lab. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff's been debunked. And what's been the response? Of the the some of these evangelical leaders, silence or deleting articles. If you're yeah. in, it's it's crazy. And I would just like for someone that she exposes in this article to respond and say, you know what, uh, I didn't say that. She's wrong, or uh, she's misunderstood what I did and said, or you know what, what I did and said wasn't wise. Yeah, it was it was foolish, and I shouldn't have done it. Yeah, and she's not calling out their motives no. in this. No, are there persons? Yeah, and, and so she goes through and she she talks about a lot of the things that the NIH has pushed, that the federal government has pushed concerning uh, COVID policies, uh, which have been just wrong, and they've been proven to be wrong. For instance, the life-saving medical device, the cloth mask, has been shown to have almost no uh, effects whatsoever when it comes to reducing the transmission of, of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um when it comes to lockdowns, uh, the the damage that lockdowns does, particularly to children, but then also what it does to the economy and, and the health organizations have been saying, no, 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 don't worry about that. What's, what's really important is that we stop the spread. And and lockdowns have been shown to really not be that effective in, in stopping the spread of COVID. And so all these things that the NIH and Francis Collins himself has been pushing, has been talking about, well, then these evangelical leaders like Keller, like Stetzer, like Moore have got, gotten on uh, their soapboxes and have been repeating what the NIH has said. And Megan says, well, I don't think that they were trying to push misinformation. And it's interesting that you mm-hmm. really could see it as misinformation. They're not trying to push misinformation. They're really just kind of trusting yeah. whatever Francis Collins says. And so they're not doing it. She, she says, I don't know exactly why they're doing it, but they're not doing it because they're trying to be deceitful. Yeah. She gives them the benefit of the doubt on that, which is, I think we all should always mm-hmm. do. Love hopes all things. But it does raise serious questions about the way our evangelical leaders, many of them, have been operating. Yeah. And this has been part of a point of contention uh, with me for a few years now, is I think in many regards, our evangelical leaders have failed us. We've yes. seen a failure of leadership across the board in so many areas, which is why we find ourselves the, in the mess that we're in today. And she just highlights this. And she's talking about it specifically with regard to the COVID narrative, to the lockdowns and the way the pandemic has been managed politically where Stetzer and Moore and Keller et al. have said, you need to trust the science 
here is Francis Collins. He's yes. the science. Yes. And then the, the Wall Street Journal did this article a couple of months ago after these emails leaked between Fauci and Collins because they were upset with the Great Barrington Declaration. You read that? Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, it's nearly a million signatures on this declaration now right. with hundreds and hundreds of credentialed scientists from literally around the world yeah. who say lockdowns are not wise and there's a better way to approach this pandemic. And it's originally drafted by three um, leading epidemiologists, yes. right? Nobel Prize winners yes. have, have signed it, right? Yeah. And so Francis Collins uh, and Fauci get out there and start saying, well, this is a fringe kind of stream of epidemiology. Nobody else really agrees with it. Yeah, and, and what, you know, these private emails that, through the Freedom of Information Act uh, have been now brought to light. Uh, Collins writes Fauci and says, somehow we need to get ahead of this. You know, we need to discredit this in a public way. And so Fauci uses his political connections and they do that. They publish an article or they have an article published in Wired magazine by uh, a science editor who says, oh, no, no, you know, this is just uh, debunked. And they call them fringe. They call them fringe scientists. This is crazy. Which is just an ad hominem attack. Sure it is. It's not dealing with the issues. It's not It's not dealing with the, the, the issues that they raise themselves as scientists. Uh, it's just, no, don't, don't worry about this. Nothing to see here. These guys are fringe. Trust us. Yeah, and that's the problem. That's what we've been seeing too often from evangelical leaders is, look, we know better. Trust us. We're on the inside. We're going to give you the straight, the straight scoop on this stuff. And so often uh, it's been shown yeah. to be anything and, but. And if there's a contradicting narrative to our to our own or something that contradicts what we say, well, that's a conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy theory. theory. That's a conspiracy theory. And even to, to give it any sort of credibility at all, you lose your own credibility. That's right. And, and I guess these folks uh, think that we just won't remember or we'll just say, okay, you know, they're so smart. We don't understand. They're, they're better than we are. And so let's just go along with them. But what Megan has done is like she's, she's the little boy that says, guess what? The king has no clothes. Mm-hmm. And in saying that now, it's, oh, goodness, your tone's not right, Megan. You know, and, yeah. and how dare you? And, and, you know, we should all just get along. I mean, this is Eric Erickson's article. And, you know, he says some wonderful things in his article. When he, it's the, I forget the title of it. It's like, I'm. I'm going to regret writing this article yeah. in which he makes phone calls because he read Megan's article. And he said, I was disturbed over what I read there because I've liked Francis Collins. I trusted these evangelical leaders when they held up Collins as uh, scientifically uh, balanced and, and mm-hmm. uh, trustworthy. And if what Megan writes is true, then I feel like I've been deceived. So he makes phone calls. It's just more complicated than that. You know, I, insiders are telling me it's more complicated than that. But he doesn't refute anything she says. Yeah, I mean, she writes that here's a guy held up as a pro-life evangelical, and yet as head of the NIH, he has has um, funded research that makes your hair stand on its end, mm-hmm. taking the infant of scalps and putting them on animals. Yeah, that's pro-life of saying that uh, that human beings don't begin life doesn't begin at conception mm-hmm. uh, of authorizing fetal stem cell research. I mean, there's just any number of things on the pro-life issue where he is suspect at best, but then for him personally to come out and say, I'm an ally mm-hmm. to the LGBTQ movement, and these yeah. are heroes who live authentic lives in this world that's so opposed to them, 
there's that word evangelical doesn't mean what I think they think it means. <laughs> yeah, and just to you know go back to your your statement about the failure of evangelical leaders. You know, I this is not you know when I read Megan's article and I see um, these guys being called out and I see them losing credibility, which I think is absolutely true. Yeah, I think sure they've lost is. credibility amongst evangelicals. This is not oh yes, good they're getting their comeuppance. You know, vengeance, no, vengeance no, is coming no, upon no. them. But this is you know these people should not be our leaders. That's right. And if 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 Megan's article can help people to see the fact that these people should not be leading evangelicalism, that is a good thing. I I mean, the, the, the immense failure in moral reasoning from a guy like, like um, I think it was Rick Warren, uh, who, who held up a mask and said, um, wearing a mask is the greatest, is the great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he said it. Yeah, I know. He it. said that. I know it. Um, yeah, and then Francis Collins, you know, in an in a interview with one of these guys, I forget who it was, he basically pleads with pastors and with rabbis, he says, this is our job um, to deal with conspiracy issues and conspiracy theories. And so you get Francis Collins coming on board with these guys saying, hey, your job as a pastor is to parrot my narrative and to suppress other narratives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these guys, these leaders didn't even ask for alternative points of view. It's like they, they intentionally ignored the Great Barrington Declaration and all of the scientific credentials behind that. I mean, and isn't that science? You have a thesis, you test it, and you try to discern, you know, what's true, what's better, and you move forward. But it's no, no, no. We have the answer. It's not to be challenged. And if you don't uh, submit to it, that just shows that you're a conspiracy Mm -hmm. theorist nut. Yeah, his words were, it is our job, it is your job, pastors, to get your people to trust the science. Yeah, I mean, so much of this in, in her article just incidentally points out other bad things. Like with Rick Warren, you know, he says, I'm not, I don't have such a big ego that I have to have an audience to preach to. We're talking about you know, doing online church. Mm. Is there, an ecclesi- is there an ecclesiology in there anywhere? That's it. That's why we went back to in-person services is because of our massive egos. Yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's uh, so much of that is, is just bad. And so, man, I, I think there are opportunities for us here to back up look at what's happening. I think Megan did that. She's not been involved in a lot mm-hmm. of these circles. And so she's just kind of coming in as a journalist, trying to objectively assess things and write what is there, show the facts. She documents with source material what she's uh, setting forth. And then the evangelical elites, it's like, oh, well, no, well, who, who let you in? You know, <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. And so for... Christians who want to be faithful to Christ, it's time for us to say, okay, let's go back to the Bible, and we shouldn't be surprised when leadership fails, because leadership has failed from the very beginning of history, and we've been told leaders will fail. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament church. The elders that Paul himself appointed, most likely, in Ephesus, he said, from among your own number, they're going to become teachers that will lead people astray. Well, if that happened in the apostolic days, we shouldn't be blown away yeah. if it happens today. Yeah, yeah and the, the the issue is not, it's not a, some sort of anti-elite um, mentality that, that we have here um, because there's always going to be a leadership class. Yeah, there needs to be leaders. There will always be leaders. There will always be an elite in that sense. Um, the question is, 
do we have the right elites? Do we have the right leaders? And, and the answer to that, I think, is absolutely not. I agree with that. We need new leaders. But I would also say that among the leadership, we need to guard against an elitism. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, call your leaders a leader, whatever. But this elitist, elitism mm-hmm. mentality that says you don't question us. Right. We know better. You right. get out of the way. If you question us, you're a nutcase, you're a crank, you're fringe because we know better. This is the the beauty and the value of being people under the lordship of Christ and Christ alone Mm -hmm. because he has given us a book. And in the scriptures, we are to test all things. With the scriptures, we are to be like Bereans, to hear what's being taught and to measure it by the scriptures, to search the scriptures, to see whether or not it's true. Yeah. And what we're saying is, man, when we look at these leaders who are telling us, don't be gullible, you need to repent for your conspiracy theories, themselves being gullible and imbibing and promoting what is a false narrative, that they need to take their own medicine. They need to repent. And yet, Mm -hmm. it just seems like there's uh, an allergy to repentance. It's uh, (laughs) metanoiaphobia. A fear of repenting, you know. Why is that? We have yeah. a gospel. Well, I think that um, and it's a, it's always present in, in all of us, and it's a temptation for all of us, but that the temptation towards arrogance, towards pride, to think that, you know, I have the truth, and I'm going to hold on to that truth. Um, and the truth, I've discovered it myself, and if it comes from somewhere else, well, that truth must not be right if it contradicts my own. But we have to have the humility to take God's truth wherever it is given to us, even if it comes from the humblest of quarters, mm-hmm. and say, well, that's God has revealed that, that is true, and therefore if it contradicts what I believe, then I need to accept God's truth. Yeah. And so if it, it could come from the most humble um, member in our church, and if it contradicts what I thought to be true, but I now realize that this is in accordance with God's word, well, I need to be humble and accept that. Yeah, that's right. I, th- I think about the uh, man born blind in John chapter 9, Jesus healed, and then you know, the Pharisees and Jew- Jewish leaders are upset with him, and they're questioning him. And he says, why? Do you want to be his disciples too? And they're all offended at that. Who are you, you know, to be questioning us? I mean, we're uh, the, the leadership here. And yet the man had truth. He was just simply speaking what he knew to be true, mm-hmm. and they were highly offended mm-hmm. at that. There's a there's so much here that we ought to take to heart and try to learn and learn from in light of this. One is okay, uh, trust but verify. Honor your leaders. Mm-hmm. We ought to honor our leaders. But the fact that there are leaders doesn't make them infallible. And whenever you have leaders who make mistakes, which is the only kind of leaders we have are going to make mistakes. That's true. I mean, you and I pastor a church and we make mistakes and we've had to acknowledge that sometimes before the congregation. And you know, there's no, no uh, fear in doing that because we have a gospel. But whenever you got leaders that are either unwilling or are afraid or hesitant to admit mistakes that they've made or to admit sin, then it makes you wonder, you know, do they really believe the gospel as deeply as they say they do? I mean, what's so hard about saying, you know what, I did this, I said this, it was wrong. At the time, I thought it was right, or at the time, I was thinking this, and I see now God's convicted me, and I'm sorry, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against you, God's forgiven me, will you forgive me? That's that's why Jesus came into the world. That's the gospel. This This is how... Christians are called to live every day. It's what we preach and teach here at Grace Baptist Church and what we try to promote through Founders Ministries is that Christians are not only believers, we're repenters. Yeah. And we ought to be quick 
repenters. So I don't know why they wouldn't do that, but but these guys wouldn't even talk to Megan. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, you know, the things that have come out by others who want to be supportive of the evangelical leaders that have been exposed in her article, it's like, well, her tone is not right. You know, how dare she? These are faithful men, all that. Okay, but let's deal with the issues. And so we ought not ever be afraid of reality. Whatever the truth is, we ought to be willing to acknowledge it because God's the God of all truth. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to fear the truth, even if the truth reveals something really bad. You know, what happens if, if I say, okay, you know, I'm going to come clean and I'm going to look at my life and let the word of God examine me, and I discover things in there that are really horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can be shattering emotionally, but I don't have to fear that because mm-hmm. I have a Savior, yeah. and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so in Christ Jesus, I can say, yes, I see it. This was wrong. It's horrible. I wish it weren't so, but Jesus died for my sins, and in him I'm forgiven. And if we don't teach that, practice that, grow in our ability to live that way, we're not going to be qualified at all to lead God's people. Yeah. That's the way God's people are to live. Yeah, it's as you've often talked about that gospel fluency, uh, and it's not just can I can I preach the gospel at a you know drop of a hat, but am I practicing um, a knowledge of the gospel? Am I living in light of the gospel daily, minute by minute, hour by hour? Um, so what about this, uh, this New York Times article on dissentor, dissenters, uh, this, the evangelical dissenters trying to save evangelicalism from itself? Yeah, well, that was fascinating, wasn't it? Uh, they highlight, who was it, Karen Swallow Pryor, Russell Moore. Um, the BD on Yabule. Yeah, the BD and the, the woman that wrote Jesus, John Wayne. Yeah. Demez, I forget her, what's her name, I should know uh, it. Chris, Kristen... Yeah, Kristen Kobes Dumez. Yeah, yeah, Kristen Kobes. Calvin, Calvin up in Michigan. Have you read that book, mm-hmm. Jesus John Wayne? It's 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 an interesting read. You know, uh, makes you want to swagger a little bit. But <laughs> no, I mean, I've always liked John Wayne. Though. Oh, I love John and Wayne and Jesus. And yeah, both of them. But I mean, this is just—it's so bad. I mean, there's so many gratuitous assertions in the book that I'm wondering how anybody would take it. As you know, though this is wonderful scholarship. Sure, she has a lot of footnotes in there, mm-hmm. but just look at the way she uses her footnotes and the gratuitous assertions. And the book has been uh, rightly and properly reviewed by uh, people that have seen through that. But so many have just said, "Oh, yeah, this is just more the Christian nationalism, more white, whiteism, Christianity." Uh, but anyway, th- this article says these are the ones that are trying to save the evangelical movement by detaching it from nationalism, by detaching it from the uh, white Christianity. And it's, I don't know, it's a sad article to me because it highlights and, and kind of underscores from the other direction uh, what Vody Balkum said in his book, Fault Lines. And in fact, you know, when Vody wrote this book, it's going on a year and a half ago now that he actually wrote it, um, he was trying to be really careful and nuanced in making distinctions between where those fault lines are and who's on which sides. And again, not impugning anybody's motives, but just saying, here's the evidence. He just showed the, the what people were actually saying and doing that caused them to be on opposite sides of the social justice fault lines. And this article is the same thing. And at some point, you know, you just, you got to, Say well, what what are those fault lines? Is that a is that a wall mm. that we can't get over? Is it a chasm too far, 
or are we talking about things within a camp, within the evangelical camp that, yeah, you know, uh, I think it's uh, Erickson's article calls it tribalism, you know, that mm-hmm. we got our little tribes in the evangelical world. Uh, my concern is it's far more significant than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, these these uh, figures brought up in the article, um, he calls them dissenters. Would you call them dissenters? <sighs> I, it's funny that he calls them that because they have been the major narrative uh, promoters mm-hmm. up until recent pushback. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, some other some historian or somebody else will have to sort out exactly how the pushback has manifested itself. There have been some early uh, people sounding the alarm who said, wait a minute, something bad's going on, something bad's going on. And then I think uh, there was a coalescing of several in 2017, 2018, after the um, Martin Luther King 50th anniversary conference that was held in Memphis and sponsored by TGC and Southeastern Seminary and others. And then the statement on social justice and the gospel, I think, was mm-hmm. a watershed moment when it there was a, a sense of, okay, we're not several of us are seeing this, we're not going any further. But that that pushback, man, um, there was tremendous effort, still is tremendous effort to marginalize those that are questioning this major narrative. Again, it's either being promoted by or is being facilitated by the silence of key evangelical leaders. Mm-hmm. And so those who have been marginalized or the, the, the major players have tried to marginalize have not given up and they've continued to try to expose. Megan Bashan has done it as someone who's not been a part of that marginalized mm-hmm. group. And so I think that's what's caught them off guard and exposed things more clearly. Um, this article seems to suggest that now then those major players who have been driving the narrative that because they've been caught with their hands in the cookie jar, oh, they're yeah. the oppressed Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly it. I couldn't think of a better uh, picture for that. Um, yeah, guys like Russell Moore, um, like Thabiti, um, like Karen Swallow Pryor, uh, these are people who are named in this article, um, like you said, who have been pushing the narrative, who have been – who have been in elite positions within evangelicalism, who yeah. have been leaders. I mean, Russell Moore, until recently, president of the ERLC. Um, now public theologian for Christianity Today. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to consider these people uh, dissenters. And you and I were talking earlier, you know, I um, maybe, maybe they are now. Maybe they are in the sense that I don't think evangelicalism is going the way they want it to go. Right. I don't think, I think... <laughs> I don't know. I don't have data. I don't know if the data is even there to suggest uh, which way, you know, evangelicals would divide themselves right now. Um, but I don't see it trending in their direction any longer. Yeah. And that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I don't know that I would be that confident, you know, I mean, you're not saying slam dunk, but um, I think about the Bolshevik revolution, you know, it wasn't the majority that won the day there. Yeah. It was the well-organized, vocal, well-positioned minority mm-hmm. who were able to take the field. And I think that's what's happened. Because it's going to be hard for me to believe that your typical church-going, God-fearing Christian sitting in an evangelical, a Protestant church, someone who loves Jesus, trusts Jesus, does their job, they're not on Twitter, they're not paying attention to all of the cultural currents because they're just trying to raise their families or trying to serve their church or be honest in their work, that the bulk of those people are 
where these elitist leaders are trying to take us. I don't think that's true. So in that sense, yeah, uh, they might be the dissenters on the outside. But again, it doesn't mean the majority doesn't always win the day. Mm -hmm. If, if, if we don't stand up, and call foul, if we don't shine the light, if we don't say to those leaders who have let this happen or led this to happen, you're no longer qualified to be our leaders. Uh, We love you, but we think you failed us in significant ways. Then who knows what evangelicalism will become. And that's why, that's why I'm so grateful for Megan's article is because it does that. It shines the light on these issues. It, it um, kind of blows the horn when it comes to the way that these leaders have really um, failed in, in their leadership and in coming from a quarter that it wouldn't normally come from. Right. Not saying that Megan herself isn't one of us, right. I think she is, but um, she's over at the Daily Wire. It's not an evangelical or Christian publication over there, but she's, she's able to do work and she has a megaphone um, that a lot of people in evangelicalism don't have. And so for her to be able to call attention to this, I think is, is big. And I'm grateful that she's. Yeah, me it. too. And she's done it as an honest journalist. I mean, I've called her an honest and principled journalist and I've had some other journal journalists guys say, you know, I, why don't want you to defend me? You know, well, there uh, are the, others. The, yeah, the, well, the, yeah. But the key point here is honest and principled, you know, I mean, <laughs> and she's done that in wonderful ways. And so we owe her a debt, and I'm glad we had an opportunity to interview her a few weeks ago here on The Sword and the Trial. We'll link to that in the notes for this episode as well. Well, there's lessons to be learned here. Christians, we need to ground ourselves in the Word of God. We need to remember that God has told us what's true, what's false, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. And we need to hold our leaders accountable. Praise God for good leaders. He's Mm -hmm. given us good leaders at times. But when leaders go bad or when leaders fail because of dereliction of duty, then we need to not have them as leaders anymore. And we need to anchor ourselves in good churches. I mean, that's that's the key to all of this. We're talking about uh, this almost nebulous idea of evangelicalism and the leaders of evangelicalism, those who have the loud... uh, uh, voices because of the big platforms, but there's nothing, there's nothing that supplants the place of a local church. So get yourself in a healthy local church with faithful under shepherds and encourage them, support them. If you're a pastor, brother, let me just encourage you to uh, stay true to the word and not simply trust those that have been trustworthy in the past, but measure everything by the word of God. And then finally, just to come back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, is believe the gospel. And don't be afraid of anything that is true, whether that truth is good or bad. Because if it's bad, you have a Savior. If it's good, it comes from God, and you can rejoice in it. So believe the gospel and apply the gospel to your own heart. Live in repentance and faith. And do not be afraid to let the light of truth shine anywhere and everywhere. Yeah, and, you know, I think one one final note is, you know, we don't want this to just be— a criticism and a negative, but we need, we need a positive vision for what uh, we're going to be as evangelicals, um, which means we're, we need new leaders. We can't just get rid of right. the old leaders that have failed, but we need new people to step in. And so, you know, if you're, if you're in pastoral ministry, if you're in training, you know, get to work, mm-hmm. um, you know, utilize the blessings, the gifts that the Lord has given you um, and step into those positions of leadership, uh, not for your own ego, but in order to to build up the kingdom of Christ the church. Yeah, amen. That's a good word. Thanks for listening to us today.